Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, right there at the end of the Old Testament, and we are moving right along in our study. We're all the way into chapter number eight tonight. Uh, I think we have about six more chapters after this, and then we'll get to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and so we're... We're going to make it, uh, it looks like, before the Lord comes back through the minor prophets. And as we've seen, as I've said before, there's no, nothing minor about them. In fact, uh, I really think Zechariah's got some uh, uh, prophetic material that's even deeper than what we get in Revelation. Actually, it's even clearer than what we see in Revelation. So I really like looking at the book of Zechariah and... and uh, and it's all given in the context of comforting these people. And so it's a, it's a really a good news book. And uh, we've kind of struggled through some of the, the thing, bad things that were going on. But there were, there were, God's trying to encourage them through these prophecies. But now we're getting into the really uh, detailed prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's nothing but good news. And so we're going to see some really cool stuff as we, we finish up the book of Zechariah. You remember... The context of where we're at in chapter 8, back in chapter number 7, there were a couple of Jews who came down from the northern kingdom. We know that they'd been born in captivity because they had Babylonian names. And so they come down from uh, Ephraim and they come to the temple. They come to see the temple that's been built. They come to see the city as it's being rebuilt. And there's, it's really exciting times for this, this remnant of Jews who had, who had uh, survived the the uh, captivity, and uh, now their, their, their culture is about to be uh, reinstated. And, and so it's really exciting times. And one of the things that they wanted to know, they, they came down and they asked Zechariah a theological question. I think it was kind of a question they were asking all of the, the uh, priests and the theologians of that day. And the question was, uh, should we continue to fast like we did when we were in captivity? And God really didn't answer that question with a direct yes or no. Uh, he answered them by telling them, look, if your heart is right, a fast is a good thing. If your heart is wrong, a fast is a bad thing. You know, that's true for any religious activity. If your heart's right, it's a great thing, whatever God calls you to do. It doesn't have to be in the Bible for you to do it. I mean, it's not in the Bible that we meet here on Wednesday night to, to study God's Word. We don't have to do that. Uh, it's not part of the law. But... But if we do that simply because we think it's a, it makes us more Christian to be here on Wednesday night, that's the wrong reason for doing it. But if our heart is right and we're here because we want to hear from the Lord, then more than likely we're in for a blessing. God's going to bless us. And so, so whatever religious activity we get, engage in, our heart has to be right. And so uh, uh, he tells them that, hey, you know, uh, if your heart's right, it's a good thing. And now as we come to chapter 8 of Zechariah, the Lord's going to give them a glimpse, glimpse of the millennium. And in the millennium, every fast is going to be turned into a feast. And so uh, he's going to give them, hey, look, you, you've been through a time of fasting, a tough 70 years. You've come back into the land. And really, this time in Israel's history was almost like a mini millennium. Uh, the, the Lord wasn't wasn't present physically, but he was present with them spiritually. And so he's encouraging them about their state, their present state, by showing them the future state of Israel. Because really, 
you know, what they're doing in building the temple and what they're doing in coming back into the land and worshiping the Lord is just a picture of what is going to happen in the great future that we all have when the Lord comes back to this earth. And so uh, the Lord, hey, says, hey, there's a time coming when there will be no fasting. It will all be feasting. And, and that's the word that he's, he's going to give them beginning in verse number 1. It says in verse number 1, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Zion with a great zeal. More than anything else, the Lord says. I have, you know, think about it. The Lord, there's nothing the Lord does that he doesn't want to do. Everything he does, he wants to do. But one of the things that he longs for and hopes for with a great zeal is when he gets to come to this earth, when he, he could come here right now if he wanted to. But when he chooses to come to this earth, when things are made right, and he gets to dwell with his people. And so he's zealous for that time. He says, I'm zealous for Zion. I'm zealous. I'm glad y'all are back in the land, he's telling these Jews. It's not what it's going to be, but I'm glad you're back in the land because I'm zealous for Zion, and I want it to be right. And you've got a chance to make it right in, in, a, in a small sense uh, now, even now. So he says, I'm zealous for Zion with a great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Because, thus says the Lord, one day I will return to Zion. And I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Physically is what he's speaking of here. Jerusalem, in that day, he gives three descriptions of the city. It will be the city of truth. I mean, why is it the city of truth? Because God is truth. And all absolute truth abides in him, comes forth from him. And so, in, so I mean, we live in a world where you can't trust what anybody says. I mean, you, there's so much lying and deception and self-centeredness in and, and the words that people speak. It's hard to trust anybody. But in that day, the word is going to come forth from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is going to be called the city of truth. It's going to be the mountain of the Lord of hosts. In other words, why the Lord of hosts? Why would it be called the mountain of the Lord of hosts? Because when God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts, he's referred to his power, his power to do anything he wants, his power to bring truth to this earth, his power to make things right on this earth, his power to rule and reign in righteousness. And that's why the last name or the last description that he gives of the city is the holy mountain. I mean, it will be absolute holy in Jerusalem because the Holy One will live in, in Jerusalem and the world will be made holy and we will be made holy and the Jews will be made holy. And the Lord has a zeal for that day. And he's telling these people, hey, you can kind of follow that pattern right now. You won't be able to live up to it like, it, like, in the, like it's going to be in the millennium. But hey, at least you should have that zeal too because you've got a great opportunity. Every event that takes place in history, in his story. Every event is being orchestrated by the Lord to bring about that day when he saves the church, he saves his people, and he makes this earth a place fit for his dwelling. And, and he's pushing historical events at this very moment to that precipice where this world falls off the edge into wickedness and into evil, but it's going to be, that's going to be a terrible day. But then all of the wicked are going to be destroyed and the Lord is going to return.
You know, I, I get a kick how much the world is in an uproar over the fact that Donald Trump decided to move the American embassy to Jerusalem. People could care less about where the American embassy is. But by moving the American embassy to Jerusalem, Donald Trump is recognizing the fact that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, that that city belongs to Israel. And they're pulling out their hair because they don't believe it belongs to to, uh, Israel. They believe it belongs to the Palestinians. Well, I got news for you. It really doesn't belong to Israel. Let me tell you who Jerusalem belongs to. It belongs to the Lord, just like this whole earth belongs to the Lord, but especially Jerusalem. And, and one day it's going to be inhabited by Jews. It's going to be inhabited by Jews, and, and, and the church will be in the new Jerusalem, I believe. Now, there's some question over that based upon the timing of when we go to the new Jerusalem. But, but uh, one day I believe the Jews will live in Jerusalem and we will live in the New Jerusalem and uh, uh, it's going to be the place of the Lord. It's going to be the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, and a holy mountain. Now, it's anything but truth now. There are more false doctrines and false religions uh, spouting their untruths out of Jerusalem now than... than, than uh, we can possibly imagine. I mean, it's, it's a mess. It's not a place where truth is going for. It's anything but holy in Jerusalem. It's profane. There's, it, it, that town, that city is full of blasphemies. The Dome of the Rock sitting there right by the holiest of holies. That is a blasphemy to the Lord. It's not a city of truth. It's not a silly city of holiness. And it's, they, it doesn't seem right now that the Lord is in control. Now, he in the, he's sitting behind the scenes, and he is in control. But one day, he won't, it won't be any doubt about who's in control because he will be dwelling in Jerusalem. He'll be dwelling on that mountain, and he will rule this earth from that great city. Then in verse number 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts. I like this part. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Now, there's two things we learn about the millennium in these two verses right here. One is that people are going to age in the millennium. I'm not going to age in the millennium. I'm going to have a new body. But the remnant of people that survived the great tribulation that are left here on this earth and the Jews that are placed there from the four corners and placed there in Jerusalem, they're going to age. But they're going to live a really long time. They're going to live a really long time because we know from Isaiah 65 that it says that a man should be uh, counted as a youth if he dies at the age of 100. In other words, if he dies at the age of 100, they're going to say, man, he sure died at a young age because people are going to live a long time. The other thing that you know about this millennium is that people are going to have children. There are going to be children born during the millennium. They're going to, the earth is going to be repopulated. It's going to be repopulated, and remember at the end of the millennium, there's going to be a rebellion of many of these people against the Lord again. But, but in the meantime, it will be repopulated, and it will be a great place for children. And, and you get that in the fact that they can play in the streets. Where in the world in America anymore can children play in the street? I mean, I remember a time when I was growing up, we, we went out at the, we came home from school, and we all grabbed our baseballs or our footballs, and we went out and we played in the streets. Good luck trying to do that today. I mean, there's so many perverts out there. There's so many people drunks out there. There's so many people driving cars too fast out there. It's not a safe place for children to play in the streets. There might be a few places on this earth that you can, 
you can do that, but not many. And, and, but in the millennium, this place is going to be safe. The earth is going to be safe. There's not, the, the crime rate on the, on, in, in all the countries of this world, uh, let me tell you what it's going to be. It's going to be absolutely zero because there will be zero tolerance for crime. You go back and read the Old Testament law, and that's the way it's going to be on this earth. You break the law, and you don't get 30 days in jail. You're out of here. And, and people are going to know that. And when people really know that, and they really believe that, then there's going to be some self-discipline, and people are going to love and treat each other the way they should. Primarily on this earth, there's going to be people who are, are, are a, the Lord is going to separate the sheep from the goats, and the goats are going to be gone. And so the people are going to be better people. We're going to be perfected forever. We're going to be different from the people that are on this earth, but, but it's going to be a really exciting time. Verse number 6, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If, if it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of the people in these days, I mean, if you think things are really good now, if you here were these guys, they came down, they saw the city re- being rebuilt, they saw the temple... Uh, being rebuilt, and even though it wasn't as glorious as Solomon's temple, it was a very, very exciting time for them. And he's saying, if you think things are marvelous now, just wait until the millennium. He says, even in the millennium, when, when the curse is gone and the earth is restored to its original majesty and the animals and plants to their original grandeur, and you see all of these things, these beautiful settings without the pollution of mankind, hey, it's not only going to be marvelous in your eyes, it's going to be marvelous in the eyes of the Lord. Will it also be marvelous in my eyes? Then in verse number 7, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. He's going to bring them from the four corners of the earth. Now, there's where the earth is round. That's a figurative, uh, uh, that's figurative speech when the Bible speaks of bringing the people, the Jews back from the four corners of the earth. But from every direction, from all over the world, people are going to be brought back to this earth. And I will bring them back and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And the Jews shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. There's that truth and righteousness again, truth and holiness. Things are going to be different. Finally, Israel are going to be the kind of people they were supposed to be, God's people. And, and God will truly be their God. There will be no other gods before him. And they will finally be blessed the way God originally intended them to be blessed. They'll finally have the kind of faith that God originally intended them to have. It's going to be a marvelous day for the Jew. Hey, we're already, at this point, we're already basking in the, in the blessings of God. Even in this life at this point, we're basking in the blessings of God. But when the rapture takes place, hey, all our tears are wiped away and it's, things are over, the troubles are over for us. And, and we won't, it, they'll struggle because uh, some of the, not all the people in this world are going to be saved, so they're going to still struggle with their flesh and struggle with, with the things that we struggled with before we were born again, but there's going to be this impetus to to keep the law in that day, and, and uh, it really won't be any choice because the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all the armies of heaven will be in control. He's, gonna, he's omniscient. He knows everything, and your sin will find you out, and good luck to you if you sin in that day. He 
It says in verse number 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who have been hearing, you, have, you who have been hearing these days. You've been hearing from Haggai, and you've been hearing from Zechariah, and they've spoken to you these encouraging words. And so, so uh, uh, let your hands be strong. I mean, you're about to go through some good times. You've been through some tough times. And that's why you were fasting. You were hoping those tough times were going to end. They weren't going to end until the 70 years were up. So your fasting really wasn't doing you any good. So, so here's what you need to do. Let your hands be strong. Encourage yourself. You're about to see some good days. You who have been hearing in these days, you've been hearing the words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord of hosts. He's speaking of Haggai and Zechariah that the temple might be built. And these encouraging words that they've been speaking to you are going to carry over even now that the temple's being built. You guys have got a really, you know, a really great opportunity to live as Jews were intended to live. You've got a great opportunity to be the people of God. Yeah, the temple's not as majestic as, as Solomon's temple, but the temple site the temple mount is the very site where God is going to dwell when he comes to this earth and he rules and reigns in righteousness and so hey you're part of a great future you're part of a great hope so take advantage of that he says to him he gives him those encouraging words then in verse number 10 he says for before these days there were no wages for men or any hire for beast there was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out came in for I, now watch why things were like that. For I set all men, everyone, against his neighbor. But now, and he's, when he's speaking of now here, he's speaking of now that the Jews have returned. Here in about 516 B.C., they returned to the land. And so he says, he says but, but now I will not treat the remnant of the people as I did in the former Days, In other words, when I was punishing Israel, those days are over. You, you're, you're about to have some good days, says the Lord of hosts. Now, things were really bad in Israel before they went into captivity. The captivity was terrible. I mean, it was the worst thing that could have happened to them. But things were bad before that happened. And I kind of look at this and I'm kind of reminded of our country because what God had done, he had set all men, everyone against his neighbor. In other words, there was division throughout the country. So it was hard for people to find a good job. There wasn't any peace from their enemies. And there wasn't even peace among neighbors because every man was set, his heart was set against his neighbor. Every man lived for himself. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so the country was divided. Now, God's saying to them, That's, those days are over for now. The country is not divided. You've got a great opportunity to do some good things. But, but I look at the United States of America today, and I think the, the, anybody, uh, even Christians, who are observing the state of this country, the first thing they notice about America now is how divided we are. I mean, the president of the United States goes out on the football field at halftime. I don't know if you all saw that or not. Simply to... Sing God Bless America. Half the people in that stand, in those stands, booed as loud as they could. The other half of the people in those stands cheered as loud as they could. And you hear this booing and cheering going on at the same time. 
And it's very loud on both sides because we're so divided in this country. It's sickening how divided we are. Who's responsible for that? Well, when we turn our backs on God, I can tell you who's responsible for that. God's responsible for that. God in America has set neighbor against neighbor. We're exactly at the point Israel was at when they went into captivity. I mean, you look at all the signs and all the things that were going on in Israel during that time. That's exactly what's going on in the United States of America today. How much longer that's going to be, I don't know. It went on for a while in Israel before God sent them into captivity, and maybe it'll go on a while for us. Uh, but, but things are really bad. We need to pray for our country. And then in verse number 12, it says, For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give fruit. Things are going to be good for you guys. The ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. Good things are going to happen to you guys. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. You've got an opportunity not only to be blessed, but to bless others because I'm going to make things right in your country for a while. So do not fear and let your hands be strong. So just as the temple pointed to a greater temple, this remnant, points to a greater time when Israel will come back into the land and they will uh, live in the millennium. And so they, they have, like I said, it's kind of like they're going to go through a mini millennial period and they're going to prosper and there's not going to be the division. And so he's telling them to be strong and do your part. Do what God calls you to do. Go look at verse 14. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to you. If you do what you're supposed to do, if you do your part, to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. So do not fear. I mean, do not fear. Things are going to be good for you, but you have to do your part. What's their part? He tells them in verse 16. These are the things you shall do. And it's not too hard. It's not too complicated. Listen to what he says. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Now, that sounds pretty simple and pretty easy, but actually sometimes it's not as easy as it sounds. Whenever you try to live righteously and treat others uh, fairly and justly, you're going to get tested on that. And you're going to find out just how, thank goodness for grace, and how you find out how wicked our hearts really are. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. Whether you like your neighbor or not, you're not to think evil of your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. Don't lie. Don't slander. Don't give false witness. For all these things are an abomination of the Lord. These things I hate, says the Lord. That's the same list of things, if you remember from the last chapter, that the Lord gave as reason they, that for the, they're going into captivity because they didn't keep those things. And, and so they were scattered throughout the land. Remember the Lord said, like a whirlwind, and the land became desolate because you refused to speak truth to your neighbor. You refused to 
to do justly and righteously and live in peace. And you thought evil and you talked bad about your neighbor, and so I scattered you and made things desolate. But if you do those things, the Lord tells them, then there's not going to be any need for fasting. Let me tell you what, you can feast. If you live right before the Lord, your life will be a feast. And there's a lot of application of that for us. That's true today. We treat people right and, and things get better in our lives. We, we live for the Lord, things are going to be better in our lives. We live for ourselves and we live like these Jews were living and, 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 and hey, God's going to set neighbor against neighbor. But he says, he says in verse 18, 19, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feast, not fast, for the house of Judah. If you will just love truth and live in peace. The fast that the Lord wants is a fast from self-centeredness, a fast from selfishness. He wants us to love truth and to live in peace. I mean, to love truth is to love the Lord because the Lord seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you're not seeking truth, then you're not really seeking the Lord because, I mean, they go, the Lord is truth. He is absolute truth. So they, it goes hand in hand that if we're going to have a relationship with the Lord, then we, we're to love truth. And if we love truth and we love the Lord and we're in a relationship with the Lord, then we're going to have peace with God. And if we have peace with God, we're going to have the peace of God. And when you have the peace of God, let me tell you what, there's no fasting. It's all feasting. You remember the disciples and how they were having a good time with Jesus? And John's disciples came to Jesus and said, what's wrong with these guys? We're fasting and they're not fasting. And Jesus said to them, as long as the bridegroom is with them, they are going to feast. They're not, they don't have to fast. But when the bridegroom goes away, that's when they'll start fasting. I got news for you. The bridegroom lives in us. And so our life shouldn't be marked by fasting. They should be marked by feasting. We should feast on the Lord. We should live in peace. We should live in joy. And you can only do that when you seek the truth of God. Now, there was little doubt here that at some point, and we can look back at history and we know this to be true, at some point after the days of Zechariah, this nation was going to fall again. We know how, what a miserable state they were in when they fell to the Romans. You read the Jewish history, it's really interesting to read about it, how they kind of came out of this and really became a world power again, and then they fell to the Romans, and then they crucified Jesus Christ, and ultimately they were destroyed as a nation. So they failed in all of these things that God encouraged them to do. Here you got a chance. He said you got a chance to be the kind of nation you were intended to be again. But the Lord knew that wasn't going to happen, that they were going to fail again, because, let me tell you why. Because, as I said earlier, true love and true peace only come through regeneration. You have to be born again. In order to understand the truth of God, to hear the truth of God, you have to have the Spirit of God. In order to have the peace with God, the peace of God, you have to have the Spirit of God. And truth and peace give you joy. And so as hard as they might have tried, most of these Jews 
or if any, I don't know if any of them had the Spirit of God. They might have the Spirit of God come upon them at times, but they weren't sealed with the Spirit of God. And so we, they were doomed to fall. They were doomed to fall. But the Lord tells them now, hey, it's going to be good for you for a while. You're probably going to fall. But there is coming a day when everybody who lives on this earth will love truth and they'll love peace and neighbors will live in love for one another. When does that day begin? It begins with the rapture of the church, which is right on the horizon. And once the church is gone, then God is going to pour out his wrath upon the wicked of this earth, and most of the wicked are going to perish. And then the Lord is going to return, and at that point, people will worship God truly in spirit and in truth. Look at verses 20 through 23 as we finish up here. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come in that day, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us continue to go and pray before the Lord. I mean, the most exciting thing to do on earth won't be to watch a football game. Won't be to... to uh, to watch a good movie, won't be to fight a war. I mean, all the things that, that are stir us up emotionally and excite us will be nothing compared to the sight of the living God on this earth. I mean, that will be the most exciting thing we can do. And everybody's going to say, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. He's going to be there. God in the flesh in Jerusalem. I mean, you go to Jerusalem now, I mean, you see the Dome of the Rock, and you see the, a little piece of the temple wall and all of that kind of stuff. But one day, I mean, that temple's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be magnificent. But that's not why people are going to go there. They're going to go there to see God in the flesh, to hear from God in the flesh. And to pray before the Lord. Then in verse number 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Hey, take us to the temple. Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is here, that he's with you. Now you think the tourism business is good in Israel right now. You wait till God sits on his throne in Jerusalem. And the Jews, hey, the Jews, uh, one day, they're not that way now. They're going to be the most admired people on this earth. And people are going to, I don't know how we're going to travel in that day. You can't be sure. Maybe there will still be jet airplanes. Maybe there will still be cars. I kind of doubt it. But, but people, for people to come from all over the earth, and drop their business or their farms or whatever God has them doing and to come to Jerusalem means there's got to be some kind of quick means of travel. I don't know what that'll be. But they're going to come and they're going to come into the city of Jerusalem and they're going to grab a Jew and they're going to say, take me to your leader. Take me to God Almighty. Take me to the Lord of hosts, to the King of truth, to the King of righteousness so we can hear him, so we can see him. 
Jews are going to be admired people. But the most admired people on this earth outside of Jesus Christ will be the church itself. But we will be in our glorified state at that point. So there's some good days ahead is what Zechariah is saying, some really good days. He was speaking that little remnant of Jews to encourage them to go on. And I think he's speaking to us tonight to encourage us to go on because, hey, it looks pretty dark out there right now, but there's some really bright, bright days ahead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just all the encouragement that we get uh, uh, through your teaching, Lord, through, through your revelation, and especially as we look at these last days. We live in the last days, Lord, and we know that these events are not too far off. Lord, uh, stir us up, Lord. Uh, stir us up to, to plant as many seeds as we can. Lord, so that once you, when you take us out of here, that those seeds uh, begin to grow in the hearts of those who remain here for the great tribulation. Lord, we pity them, but, but hopefully many will get saved and hopefully uh, things will be left behind that, that count, Lord. Words will be left behind that count. Father, we just thank you for the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for, for, for the the reality that one day, Lord, you're going to dwell on this earth and you're going to rule and reign in truth and righteousness. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.